0: All right, thanks, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Prime Time. Now we know the truth. We were closer to a real destruction of our democracy than was even apparent. Trump was considering crazy actions that threatened national security, concerns that went all the way to the top at the Pentagon. Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, both of the Washington Post, write in their new book, Peril, That General Mark Milley, you've gotten to know him a little bit more recently in politics, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, single-handedly took action twice, once right before the election and then after January 6th to block Trump from going rogue, to limit him from potentially ordering a dangerous military strike or even launching nuclear weapons. Now, the question to start with is why? Milley was reportedly very concerned, concerns shared by others in the administration and Congress, according to the book, that a desperate Trump had gone into a serious mental decline. In addition to consoling his Chinese counterpart that the United States democracy was intact and no military action was imminent, the general also called a secret Pentagon meetings two, after, two days after the insurrection. The point was to review the process for military action with senior officials. Now, if you think back to that time, it wasn't too long ago, Trump had been upending the military's leadership, if you'll remember, after losing the election. His cabinet members were resigning, he had nut jobs in his office talking about martial law, and he really was nutty enough to pressure the Vice President, Mike Pence, to try to steal the election up until at least the day before the certification of the vote. Heavy charge. What's the backup? In the book, it says Trump and Pence were in the Oval Office on January 5, talking about what powers Pence had to mess with the electoral count. When the vice president told Trump he wouldn't want any one person to have that kind of authority, Trump said, but wouldn't it be almost cool to have that power? No, Pence said. I've done everything I could and then some to find a way around this. It's simply not possible. Trump then allegedly shouted, no, 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 you don't understand, Mike. You can do this. I don't want to be your friend anymore if you don't do this. What a threat. He didn't just drop Pence as a friend the next day. He left him for dead when the Trump mob came to hang him at the Capitol. And the concerns about what the then president might do to the rest of us, let alone Pence, led General Milley to have that meeting. We haven't seen anything like that kind of meeting that we know about since Nixon, when top brass during Watergate wanted a warning if then President Nixon tried to use the military to distract from his downfall. So here, Milley, according to the book, met with the top brass after the insurrection and instructed them, not to take orders from anyone unless he was involved. Quote, if you get calls, no matter whom they are from, there's a process here, there's a procedure. No matter what you are told, you do the procedure, you do the process, and I am part of that procedure. The top general allegedly then went around the room, looked each officer in the eye and said, got it? The authors say Millie saw this as an oath. There were loads of other alarming episodes along with this. Now, you want to talk about Afghanistan and who you blame and all that, right? Just eight days after the 2020 election, Trump was so determined, according to the book, to end the war in Afghanistan during his presidency that he secretly signed a memo to withdraw all troops by January 15, 2020. 21. Can you imagine if we had left that abruptly, how many would have been left behind? The Secretary of Defense didn't know about it. Neither did the National Security Advisor. Milley and Company went to the White House and had it withdrawn. Now, that is a very interesting anecdote, that last one that puts into context the framing for the big question coming out of this, other than all that stuff about Trump which will be about Millie and what he did. If it's true that he stopped that kind of withdrawal, think about how many lives may have been saved. But does Millie deserve thanks or criticism? And will these findings add any fuel to the search for answers about January 6th in Congress? We have the good fortune of someone who knows the players and had eyes on the situation. Miles Taylor. He's the no longer anonymous former senior Trump administration official. You'll remember him turning the White House upside down in 2018 when he wrote that mysterious New York Times op-ed and subsequent book, A Warning, declaring he was part of the, quote, resistance working to thwart Trump's worst inclinations and did ultimately, of course, reveal his identity. Taylor was chief of staff to Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen and back with us on primetime. It's good to see you,
1: Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, first, the flavor. Does this sound as reporting remotely like what you understand about Milly, his concerns, and what Trump could trigger in people like him?
1: Chris, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. And I want to say two things about it. First, it's alarming, but second, it's not surprising. The alarming piece is obvious. You hit on those points. You had the president's top military advisor, his hand-picked top military advisor, by the way, who was so worried about his mental state That he wanted to basically keep the nuclear codes from him, put checks and balances uh, in place, and, and talk to foreign adversaries to keep wars from breaking out. That suggests to me that the president's own top military advisor at that time didn't see Russia and China and Iran as the biggest threats to the United States. He saw the president of the United States as the biggest threat to the country. That is alarming. Two, though, Chris, why is this not surprising? Because I witnessed it. I saw cabinet secretaries in the first year of this administration talking about the potential of invoking the 25th Amendment because they were worried the president was so mentally unstable. And there's one other episode uh, among many that I witnessed that was very similar to this Milley incident. We'd been having conversations about North Korea and were very worried that the president's bellicose rhetoric was going to lead to an unintentional war with North Korea. I can remember walking out of the situation room in a meeting, and Secretary Jim Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, turned to me and the Secretary of Homeland Security and said, if you all aren't preparing the homeland for war, you're not doing your jobs. And he was saying, we just didn't know where the situation was going to go because the president was spiraling. That's Mm -hmm. deeply disturbing. But again, I I think that reinforces what Milley saw firsthand.
0: All right, we'll go back to him in one second, just in terms of the threat. Uh, Forget about putting military in, the aspect of how dramatically he wanted to take military out. Uh, If the book is right about this secret memo to withdraw uh, January 15, 2021, with what we just saw, with a lot of lead time in getting them out that Biden had, what do you think might have happened if the military had been pulled out that abruptly?
1: Well, I hate to say it. This is something that we warned Trump against in the first year. When he took office, he actually wanted to pull out that abruptly, Chris. I don't know if this has been reported yet, but he told us he wanted to pull out that abruptly at the very beginning of the administration. He just wanted to be gone from Afghanistan. And we pressed him and pressed him and convinced him in August of his first year to keep a U.S. troop presence. But by the end of the administration, he'd gotten rid of the guardrails. He'd gotten rid of John Kelly, who convinced him to stay and, and stay the course. He'd got rid of rid of Jim Mattis and others, and he wanted to double down on that. If he'd been able to execute that in January, the humanitarian catastrophe we saw over the course of the past month would have been on steroids. It would have been more dead Americans trying to get out of that country. It would have been an absolute nightmare. I think uh, Milley really deserves immense credit for preventing that from having happened.
0: Milley deserves credit. Um, Help us understand why what he did is okay And not, maybe he had the right feelings, but is it the right way to go about it, or are you supposed to resign and go public?
1: Yeah, I think that's a tough situation to be in, Chris. I mean, look, I I witnessed a lot of people in it. I was in that spot myself. I think what's revealing about this episode is that the guardrails are so thin that people like General Milley, I'm sure in his case— were worried that if he left and, and spoke out, well, maybe a more compliant person would be put in his place who would execute a nuclear strike uh, for the president to have cause to stay in office. And that's the dilemma that a lot of these People close to the president faced. I think the answer becomes when the president no longer will listen to your advice and will just go around you anyway. That's when it's time to go and to blow the whistle. Um, Now, a lot of people did do that. And I think it's important that there were folks like General Milley and others who stayed till the end to keep their hands on the steering wheel as much as possible before this thing fell apart. But the fact that he was worried about the president potentially starting a war at the end of his term alarms me. And Chris, I'm going to add one more anecdote here, and that is. Donald Trump talked multiple times throughout the administration to us about his powers of uh, declaring an insurrection. He knew that if he declared an insurrection, he could deploy the military to the streets and do extraordinary things. So on January 6th, it was my supposition, as the Capitol was being stormed, that the president did want to invoke the Insurrection Act to put the military on the streets to prevent a transfer of power because he had talked to us about it so many times. Mm -hmm. That's the type of thing that shows uh, premeditation, in my opinion. Two quick things. One, uh, when did he talk about wanting to invoke the
0: Insurrection Act early on, in terms of what context?
1: Well, usually it was around the border, Chris, is he would say, look, I want to seal the entire United States border. No immigrants get to come in. I've been told I've got magical powers under the Insurrection Act to do that. He said magical powers? He did indeed. Verbatim, those were his his words, Chris. Um, It sounds Trump-like because it was Trump's words. He said he had magical powers he mentioned the Insurrection Act, and he said, I can use that to shut down the border. We went back to our lawyers and came to the White House and said, look, there is no insurrection at the southern border. You cannot invoke that power. But the president had the idea of insurrection in his mind. So, again, that day, I'm sure he had the thought that he could use those powers if he wanted to, to deploy the military into the streets.
0: One other thing, because this is going to be a hot button, obviously. Uh, Milley having the concerns, fine. Milley wanting to do something about the concerns, Fine. Milley calling his Chinese counterpart, meeting with top brass, telling the Chinese counterpart, uh, don't worry, everything's going to be all fine. I'll let you know if we're going to attack you Uh, and telling the top military brass, you come to me no matter who tells you what. Do you believe that that is going too far?
1: Well, look, uh, on the call with the Chinese, I think we need more information. Because if if Millie actually did say to a foreign adversary, I'll warn you before we hit you. And if we had a credible reason to hit an adversary, that's dangerous talk. Mm. I don't think we have all the details yet. It sounds to me like Millie was trying to reach out to foreign counterparts to say, let's keep the temperature low. You may hear some insane rhetoric out of Washington, but let's try to keep it from going to war. Much like many statesmen have throughout history to try to keep... Uh, temperatures low. I hope that's the case. And I think we need to ask those questions. And I think General Milley uh, owes answers on that front. Mm. Miles Taylor, invaluable perspective. Appreciate you.
0: Thank you for sharing what you know. Thanks, Chris. All right. If this new reporting, to use Miles' own qualification, we got to know if everything is right. That Chinese call, let's bring in someone who believes it's a problem a former administration official as well, a star witness at Trump's first impeachment, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman is here. Somebody who did it a different way. Next. Look, you're going to have to read into more of this Woodward and Costa book and see what's interesting to you. To me, it's about how things happen. Uh, It's not enough just about character assessments and that everybody knows Trump uh, had unstable qualities to him, an an erratic nature to him, uh, a very kind of spontaneous nature that could be very uh, upsetting to people who are used to leaders who think before they speak and act. But there are real questions about what was done here uh, by Trump, for Trump and to stop Trump, namely the man who is still the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Woodward and Costa report that General Mark Milley was holding secret back-channel communications with his Chinese counterpart, even going so far as making promises to a hostile nation. Then there are the parts of the book where Milley was reportedly going around the commander-in-chief, taking secret action to protect nuclear weapons. When is that okay? When is it not? Milley reportedly told senior military officials not to take orders from anyone unless he was involved. Moves like that had my next guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, tweeting, here's one of them. If this true general, if this true, if this is true, uh, General Milley must resign. He usurped civilian authority, broke chain of command, and violated the sacrosanct principle of civilian control over the military. It's an extremely dangerous precedent. You can't simply walk away from that. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, uh, welcome to primetimes. Good to see you, sir. Thank you for your service once again.
2: Thanks, Chris. Do you believe Millie did that? Let's start there. Well, first of all, I find the, the the reporting on China to be to be frankly absurd. I cannot imagine a situation in which the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs offers to warn an adversary of an imminent attack. So I, I find that you know kind of uh, casting a, a shadow over the, the rest of the reporting. And that's why I said if the reporting is accurate, if, if, it dep- if the, the senior most military officer in the United States Army or in the United States military acted without any oversight, without any accountability, I find that deeply troubling. It's doing the, the, what to me seems like the wrong thing for seemingly the right reason. There's not, not a way to, to get away with that. There's not a way to walk away from that unscathed. I just finished writing a book about doing the right thing in the right way. And this, to me, screams of of doing the wrong thing.
0: What if it's what Miles Taylor suggested, which was him uh, talking to a counterpart that he had a relationship with and saying, look, I'm here to tell you, no matter what you hear coming out of the White House, everything is still under control here.
2: Yeah, my friend Miles Taylor uh, made some excellent points. I agree with much of what he said about the, the dangers of Donald Trump. There's no question about The fact that there needed to be a better check on Donald Trump that should have occurred, uh, frankly, on uh, two occasions in which the Senate should have held him um, accountable following impeachment, removed him from office. That did not happen. That's the way the system is supposed to work. Ultimately, the American public held the president accountable and uh, uh, removed him from office by voting in a a new president. What we can't have is we can't have the senior military uh, officer acting without any oversight. Exceeding his authorities without civilian control—this is again a sacrosanct pr- principle. What happens if, in a different situation, the the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs acts be- what he believes is his own best interest, and and uh, we find ourselves in right the, in the slippery slope of where many other countries find themselves? Now, I was, think simply put. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. You know, I was just going to say simply put, the even if he did this for the right reasons. He did the wrong thing, and uh, now he is toxic. He is a chairman that has uh, has been criticized for the Lafayette uh, marching through Lafayette Park on several occasions. There has been reporting indicating that he was deeply concerned. He didn't voice those concerns at moments where his voice would have been critical, potentially, you know, h- h- put a check on the, on the president. Instead, now we have reporting coming out about how he worked behind the scenes to. to you know, control the president. That's troubling to me. Hobson's choice.
0: A Hobson's choice. A choice uh, is a free choice in which only one thing is actually offered, which means what was Milley supposed to do? If he does nothing, because, well, that's the president, then he is yeah. allowing things that he has a problem and he does nothing about them. If he does what he does here, you're afraid of encroaching. If he were to resign and go public, now he has no power to correct the problem.
2: You know, I grew up in the military in which we trained our, our subordinates and more senior leaders trained uh, their subordinates to be able to step up when, uh, if you go down, right? There was a, it wasn't just the, the chairman and the joint chiefs. There were uh, another half a dozen chiefs that would be prepared to step up and fill that role. 100% in my mind, clear that these are honorable individuals that would step up and, and, and step into the breach and do the same thing. The chairman, if he felt strongly about these issues, he could have done this on January 8th. There was reporting that he spoke to, to and he, he attested to speaking to Nancy Pelosi uh, when she expressed deep concerns about Donald Trump. He could have been a, a guardrail and made sure that at least for the remaining two weeks that Donald Trump wasn't able to to steal an election and and launch it and and, and double down on insurrection. We heard none of this, none of this until months, months down the road, now coming out that that he was really behind the scenes uh, serving as a guardrail. But in my mind, the guardrail is not an individual. The guardrail is a system. It's an institution. It's multiple officers doing the right thing. Mm. In this case, what's clear to me is Frankly, uh, Chairman Milley's tainted by all these things that, that I expressed that there are deep concerns about, and also by the fact that he's lost the trust of at least half the population on one side, and those people that b- believe that he uh, exceeded his authorities and violated principles of civil-military, uh, um, civil-military relations. There are better candidates to run the military, folks that are less polarizing, uh, I don't think we need one that it has so much baggage at the moment, mm. especially when we're trying to rebuild and, and harden institutions.
0: Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, your book is Here, Right Matters, An American Story. Thank you very much, sir. We'll talk again. You. Now, listen, here's what's going to happen. Millie is going to have to come and speak. He's going to have to talk about this. He's going to have to provide context, say what he did, what he didn't do, what he said, what he didn't say. And here's why. You're going to hear him being celebrated a lot on TV by the media and the political slash political left. He did the right thing. He controlled Trump. Did he do it the right way? Because what this will do is absolutely turbocharge deep state theories. And it is a lot of grist for that mill. So he's going to have to come out and set this straight about what this was and what it wasn't. Now, something else we're tracking. In less than two hours, polls close in California's recall election. Will Governor Newsom stay in office? This election was infected by the big lie before there was even an election, before the votes were even completed as being cast. The GOP frontrunner doubling down, pulling a double Trump, lobbing baseless accusations of fraud. How do you stop this poison from spreading in the republican party a brilliant mind certainly a better mind michael smirconish next i believe that there might very well be shenanigans uh as they were in the 2020 election my fear is they're going to try that uh, in this election right here in recall will you accept the results of the election tomorrow i think we all ought to be looking at election integrity No matter whether you're a Democrat, an Independent, or a Republican. Is
1: that a commitment to accept
0: the results of the election tomorrow? Let's all do that together. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, former governor of California, was called the Terminator, right? That may be Elder's new nickname because he terminated the chances of any likelihood of getting rid of Gavin Newsom. For weeks, Larry Elder, now the leading Republican in California's recall election, and that's really the issue. How? How did someone like this wind up getting to the top of the heap on the Republican side. But what's he doing? More of the same toxicity. Laying the groundwork to baselessly call fraud in this election. A familiar refrain in today's GOP. Let's bring in Michael Smirkanish about what this recall election tells us about the state of play. It's good to see you, brother. Uh, if Newsom staves off uh, with a 50-plus percentage vote Tonight, So that he doesn't get recalled. What does that say to you?
3: So I think you put your finger on something. I see a headline in tomorrow's L.A. Times that says Elder saves Newsom, because I think that Gavin Newsom was in trouble until the emergence of Larry Elder. And and what Newsom was able to do was no longer make this a referendum on his role as governor of California, but instead to present this as a two person race in a state that has twice as many Democrats as it does Republicans. And so I think it played right into the hands of Governor Newsom. It's not over yet. We don't mm-hmm. know how it ends for sure. But I'm already kind of wondering what would have been the outcome if Larry Elder had never gotten into the race. By the way, Larry Elder, as you know, Chris, is going to say he was treated unfairly by the media, that there was all this analysis on things he had said over the last three decades to the exclusion of, Of focusing on Gavin Newsom. So I expect that will be more what we'll hear from him than claims of fraud in the election. And if the polling is accurate, the margin won't be that close and it'll be very, very difficult to lay it off on shenanigans.
0: Right. But, you know, don't sell it short. Uh, Put up the poll. It is such an appetizing idea for people on the right right now that there is fraud. Fifty nine percent believe the big lie as a Republican. Now, I believe that's not as much about the substance as it is about the idea of belonging and that they now believe you have to believe that in order to be on that team. It's like a new thing, like believing the Jets will be good this year. You know, you know, it's not really true, but you <laughs> have to, uh, to consider yourself a fan. Now, two things to me, and I want your take on it. One, Newsom was clever. Newsom didn't talk about himself. He did what the Democrats often complain about, which is he just bashed the other guy. We're calling it in the media nationalizing the election. But what he really did was just attack that elder is another Trump. Biden came there and said elder is just another Trump. So really, they were playing that game of just bashing the other guy
3: and it helped him. What does that mean? So you're right about that. I think there was some additional strategy that, frankly, I got wrong and didn't understand at the outset when a couple of weeks ago, the Newsom campaign and the Democratic leadership in California said to folks, don't even vote on question two, don't even vote. And I thought, man, that's kind of nutty because they're diluting the population who will pick a successor if on question one, Newsom goes down. But I think that the strategy there, the psychology was to to not even give heft to that huge field of candidates and then in the end to focus only on Larry Elder and to make the point, well, of course, we're not going to get rid of Gavin Newsom. We're not even going to have a conversation about Mm -hmm. the others. And, oh, that Elder guy, wow, would he be out of touch with California? May I say what really concerns me about the big lie and the spread of, of this as a strategy That Drew Griffin piece, that package that we've all been watching on CNN, which puts together all the pieces of what went on in Trump world post-election, my big takeaway was how people on a local level, you know, Chris, the the person that you go in when you're going to vote and there's a man or a woman sitting there and they're getting paid nothing or next to nothing, but they're all part of the integrity of the system, it's become so vicious that I worry that good people are going to say the hell with it. I'm not getting involved. Just as right now they're saying, I'm not getting involved in a school board because I've got to put up with these vax obstinate people. We are driving good people out of government, and you know who's going to fill the void? The nuts. Mm. Well, look,
0: the proof is in the participation. Even though Elder loses by like 66 to 69% to anyone else in the polling, Larry Elder rose to the top on the Republican side in a big state of California. What that tells you about the party is probably everything you need to know. Michael Smirkanish, it's good to have you, brother, as always. Value added. See you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Lies and conspiracies have held back our pandemic fight. It is all part of the same toxic stew. And now another influential voice in the anti-vax movement is dead from COVID another conservative radio host. These deaths did not have to happen. Will they change the mind of any listeners who followed their lead? We'll ask an insider in the conservative talk radio circuit, my man Broomhead's back, A fifth right-wing radio host who spoke out against the COVID vaccines has died after contracting the virus. 62-year-old Bob Enyart, he was also a Christian pastor, he called for a boycott of COVID vaccines. A post on uh, KGOV.com, home to his radio show, explains why he and his wife refused to get the shot. Bob and Cheryl Enyard have sworn off taking the Pfizer, Moderna and Johnson vaccines because, as those firms admit, they tested these three products on the cells of aborted babies. That's not true. Enyard's wife had also been hospitalized with COVID for more than a week, according to a post on their church's social media. These deaths don't have to happen. They can stop. I really, really hope nobody takes any measure of satisfaction in any way in reporting anything like this. All life matters, right? It's a tragedy for any family to go through this. But why? Why are some conservative figures still pushing harmful anti-vaccine messages? Let's get some perspective on what's working and what isn't. From the host of the Mike Broomhead Show on KTAR in Arizona, my bud Mike Broomhead. Good to see you. Good to see you, man. Man, I don't know if you knew this guy or not or any of these guys, but I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry uh, that we're seeing lives like this that don't need to happen. And,
4: you know, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know any of them. So um, but it still is very sad.
0: Ab- absolutely. I mean, these are lives. You know, life is hard enough uh, without creating easy avenues to demise. Why isn't it making any difference?
4: I don't know that it isn't making any difference. I I think that um, I think the divide in this country comes from not understanding each side of the argument. I can tell you here in the state of Arizona, where our governor has been pretty adamant against mandates, as have I. I'm not a big mandate person. But when our governor went to all the churches, uh, churches, synagogues, temples across Arizona, the major ones, and sat down and and talked with them and said, listen, we are not going to force you to shut down, but we are asking you to comply I don't know of a church in Arizona that didn't comply. And so they they wanted to be good stewards in their community. They wanted to be good in their community. And they did just that. They complied with what the government said as law-abiding citizens to be a good example to the people around them. So I can tell you that an isolated example, as sad as this is, is just that. It's an isolated example.
0: I hear you. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about five hosts. But I'm saying in terms of the resonance, uh, you say maybe it is sinking in. Here's what I don't get about the anti-mandate thing. I don't know anybody who does like government telling you what to do in your life or not, but it really seems to be a straw man argument here, Mike, because we've already made this deal with the government. Both of our kids get vaccinated with all kinds of vaccines that you don't know and I don't know anything about, and they don't get to go to school if they don't, so we take them. Now we're in the middle of a pandemic. People aren't taking the vaccine. People like us who took it, our lives are being compromised as some kind of tyranny of a minority. What other option is there?
4: Well, and and this is the the pushback on that is two things. First of all, I want to make very, very clear. I got vaccinated at the very first opportunity. We had State Farm Stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play. And I went down in March at two and three o'clock in the morning on two separate occasions to get the Pfizer vaccine. So I'm fully vaccinated. Um, But. The, we also know that there is a waiver form in schools for parents that haven't vaccinated their kids for years and years and years because we believe that with those vaccines, the kids that are at risk are the kids that aren't vaccinated. Um, I think that there are reasonable people out there that have arguments that say, why would I get a vaccine that's been experimental until recently? Only one of the three vaccines aren't, um, are approved by the FDA And then they go on to say other things about, I'm young and healthy and have a great chance of surviving. So it's more of a reasoned decision to not get vaccinated. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm vaccinated, but I don't relegate those people to either bad citizens that they don't care and that they are, uh, they're just horrible people or stupid. I I just think they're making a different
0: decision than you and I would have made. I'm with you. It's just about the basis of it, especially um, because it reeks of politics. Because you have this overweighting on the right of people who are vaccine resistant, and that has to have something to do with politics. Otherwise, it, you know, it would be uh, a weird metric to have. And how is this not a law and order issue? This is what but, we need to do. You say you not believe just in that? People on the right. It's,
4: it's, it's not, not just, just
0: people on the right, but it is disproportionately people on the right.
4: You know, again, I think that when the government starts telling us what we have to inject into our bodies, I I understand why people push back. I would, again, I'm kind of got my feet in two boats. I'm vaccinated. I would tell people I had absolutely no side effects. It worked well for me because of the life I live. I got vaccinated. I've told other people that. But what I would never do is assume or presume to tell somebody else that I know what's best for them to put in their body or they wouldn't. And what I will say to this is, about these five people that died that are anti-vaxxers. Um, everybody in my family, you know, a prior to my parents and including my parents for a while, were smokers. We have cancer that's riddled my family. And it was sad to see them die. But nobody went to their funeral and pointed their finger and said, I told you so. It was It was sad that they went and they should have known better. But that's why you and I lead a healthier lifestyle. You know, I'm 54 years old. Right. I want to be 94, if I can. No, I no. hear
0: you. It's just that, look, that's why you can't smoke in a lot of places, because once your freedom of choice starts to affect somebody else's, that's where the, that's where the line is. And here, if you don't get vaccinated, it creates risk for others. But I'm hearing you, and I'll tell you one point I hope All everybody right. takes away, because i got to jump, okay. Mike, is this. Okay. Somebody who doesn't arrive at the same conclusion doesn't make them a bad person. Um, right. now. Once you talk to them and you figure out what their reason is, you may conclude, well, they're doing this out of politics. There's going to be a consequence for what they do. Rights come with responsibilities. But the idea of dismissing everybody the same way has clearly gotten us in trouble. Mike Broomhead, I'm glad you're healthy. Thank you for helping us understand the other side. Appreciate you.
4: And I always appreciate you. Let me speak my mind, Chris. You're a great guy. Thank you.
0: You got it. Stay healthy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Look, Broomhead is a conservative, which means he values the integrity of information and the truth. And that's why he tells you things that he thinks he can verify. There are a lot of people, not him, putting out misinformation. That's a form of disease also. And sadly, it is spread by leadership as well. And there's evidence of this in a bizarre moment from today's Senate hearing. A Republican badgering Secretary of State Blinken, who, by the way, has tough questions to answer and he hasn't answered them all well. But nonsense about pressing a button to cut off Biden? This is the kind of stuff that you have to take, expose, and remove. Next. Hashtag BOLO, be on the lookout. More Republicans are buying into yet another big lie, that there's some kind of secret button pusher who has the power to mute the president of the United States. At a hearing focused on Afghanistan, Republican Senator Jim Risch decided to use most of his time to press Secretary of State Antony Blinken about this. Here it is. Somebody in the White House has authority to press the button and stop the
4: president, cut off the president's uh, speaking ability and sound. Who is that person? Somebody has the ability to push the button and and cut off his sound and stop him from speaking. Who is that person?
0: (laughs) There is... There is no such person. Anymore. Are you telling this
4: committee that this does not happen, that there's no one in the White House who pushes the button and, <laughs> and cuts him off in mid-sentence? That's correct. You're telling us you don't know anything about this, that, they, that somebody cuts him off in mid-sentence. Is that what you're trying to tell this committee?
0: I'm because
4: everybody that, here has seen it.
0: Senator, I'm telling you, based on my own
3: experience uh, with the president over the last 20 years, <laughs> anyone who tried to
1: stop him from saying what he wanted to say speaking his mind, uh, would probably not be long for their, for their job.
0: What's the fact? The mute button that Rish at one point refers to appears to originate from an RNC tweet. It hones in on a White House feed, cutting off as Biden speaks to Idaho officials about the fire crisis out West. So I guess it's true. Oh, wait, The RNC fails to point out that the moment is listed on the president's schedule as an out-of-town pool spray. What does that mean? One, it means, my microphone's falling off. Is somebody stopping me? No, it's just a mic falling off. It was planned. Look, here's the point. The press pool following Biden comes in briefly for pictures, then they're ushered out. This happens all the time. SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. But the right has been building this lie for months. They'd rather it be something more like this.
4: This presidency feels like a never ending silver alert, except every day we wake up and realize anew that this missing senior citizen is actually living in the White House as the country is being run into the ground
0: by whoever's pulling his strings. You know why people are muting Joe Biden? Joe Biden can't talk about any of this. It's a walking cringe fest.
4: This is a guy who is clearly not doing well. Now Joe is clearly getting worse.
0: Look, it's ludicrous, but it's dangerous. Again, it was a pool spray, and then they cut the sound. It happens all the time. There is no person. There is no button. Even after this exchange with Blinken, Rish went on Trump TV to talk more BS. From
4: time to time, his, his, his sound is cut off, whether he's in the White House or in other places. Uh, sometimes he's hustled off at the stage where we can't, uh, where the media can't get answers. Um, so, somebody needs to be in charge.
0: I mean, listen, there are so many legitimate things to go after the side in power. Why make things up? from the senior Republican on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. What a shame at a hearing that should be about pressing Blinken for real answers on a real crisis in Afghanistan. And his colleague, Josh Hawley, isn't doing him one better, threatening today to hold up every single civilian nominee for the state and defense departments unless Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, Blinken, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan resign. Look, accountability matters, but to slow walk key Pentagon officials when we need the most? I can't see how that keeps us safe. Don't buy the BS. Look, thanks for watching. Stay tuned. CNN's live coverage of the California recall is next.
1: Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that.